What an awesome time of worship this morning and uh, to get our eyes fixed on, on Jesus Christ and uh, to be able to sing with uh, just robustness this morning uh, to him. Uh, he is pleased uh, when we come that way. Uh, in the last uh, couple of months, uh, I was a part of, I've been a part of a few weddings the last few months. The last two uh, were uh, ones who are on our staff or residents uh, on our staff right now. And uh, there's another one coming up this uh, coming uh, week. And then one in April, so Lauren Urbay is marrying Quincy in April. And Cam is marrying Maddie in, uh, next week. And Jehuda uh, and Katie uh, were married uh, they ushered in the new year uh, on December 31st, and then Preston and Kenzie a couple of months ago. It's been pretty awesome just to watch that uh, among our staff. Uh, and while there are a number of things that are common uh, to those weddings, one thing that's common is that each of them chose a particular venue where they were married or where they're going to be married. There's X number of seats available in that particular venue and only a certain number of invitations went out uh, in order to uh, honor the number of seats that are actually available at the venue. Uh, and a number of people receive these invitations, uh, and then you have a choice when you receive it. And multiple people say it different ways, uh, and at a minimum, you either accept or decline uh, the invitation, one of the two. Uh, and mostly because you received an invitation to a really small uh, kind of venue gathering, you want to honor that if you can, and you know that you're a part of someone near them, uh, and so usually everyone's excited if they can do it to be able to respond and accept that invitation, except maybe a few husbands that feel like they get dragged along and they're just trying to be supportive, uh, but for the most part, everyone enjoys the opportunity to accept that invite. And when we say yes to that invitation to a wedding, what we're actually going to is a worship service that is honoring God at the very center of it. And in a Christian wedding, it's bringing two people together, husband and wife, uh, who are uh, walking with the Lord. Uh, they are growing in that relationship with the Lord. They're one with him, and now they're about to become one with one another. And as they increase in their oneness with God, then their oneness in their relationship will increase over time. But it's a worship gathering, because we're looking at a bride and a groom that God says in his word are a beautiful picture of Christ and the church. That's worth worshiping God over. Every wedding has a little bit of unique kind of things that the bride and the groom want in that wedding that would honor God. Uh, and at Katie and Jehuda's wedding, uh, we had a time of worship in song uh, at the end of their, uh, of their ceremony. Uh, I said, you may kiss the bride. He kissed her. Uh, and then we all went back and found seats and we joined everyone else and Arturo, who leads uh, our Spanish worship, he and his daughter led us uh, in three songs that were just beautiful praises to God. Uh, it's just kind of a punctuation mark of praise uh, on that worship gathering of a wedding ceremony. Uh, and it was beautiful. It was bilingual. We sang some in Spanish. We sang some in English. Uh, and it was just uh, melodic listening uh, to that kind of praise to God in that uh, environment. 
I tell you that because God has invited all of us to be able to worship him together. If you're turning your Bibles to Psalm 95, uh, and we'll hang out uh, in this psalm. Uh, at one point, we're gonna divert and move to Psalm 145, hang out there for a little bit, and then make our way back uh, to Psalm 95. While you're turning in your Bibles, and if you don't have a Bible, it'll be on the screen, the scripture will. Uh, we wanna tether ourselves to it so we understand the truth of what God is calling us into. But I would like to welcome those who are online today that are gathered with us. Uh, grateful for those who are in prison today, our brothers and sisters in Christ that are worshiping with us. Uh, and then I also wanted to remind you that we have an 8 a.m. opportunity of worship upstairs uh, on Sunday mornings. And it's been a really powerful uh, contemplative time uh, of worship. So just an awareness that that happens. And then at 2 p.m. on Sunday afternoons, we have a Spanish service. And whether you, know, I was with them last week, uh, and whether you speak Spanish or not, I would say at some point it's worth going just to worship God in another language, and you will sense the presence and power of God, whether you know the language or don't know the language. God is a global God, and we can sense his heart when we're in the midst of people who speak a different language than we do. So beautiful opportunities for us to be able to gather and worship God. Uh, as was mentioned earlier, we're spending three weeks. We started last week, we're in the middle of it. Fast as we start this, we'll be through it. But we're building on what's been happening already and we'll continue to build on when we leave this series on worship. But we titled it Undivided, Pursuing God in Worship. And last week we talked about having undivided hearts for him. The, the absolute core uh, to understanding worship is to one, understand who the object of it is, which we'll speak of, but to understand that worship comes from our heart and whatever our heart desires, that's what we will worship. And we're asking God, if it's not already, that our soul's desire, our heart's desire would be for him. And that it'd be undivided on him, that we would add eyes for him and eyes for him only. And as we have eyes for him, then we'll have a love that flows uh, to those around us. I can't change your heart, your heart or your heart. I can't fix you where you're broken. And I can't, you can't change my heart and you can't fix my brokenness from the inside. Only God can do that. So what can we do when I sit here and say this this is what our heart's desire uh, ought to be, uh, but if it's not, what do I do? I think the best thing we can do is own it and beg God to change it. And for those who have a desire for God and to worship him, then we can ask on behalf of others that God would take their hearts and change their heart. We can plead with God to do that work inside out so that we might have that undivided heart for God. The psalmist had a sense of that in Psalm 86, verse 11. He says, uh, teach me your ways, O Lord. I'll walk in your truth. Unite my heart to fear your name. I I've been intrigued by that verse for a long time now because the heart, by definition, is the way we think. It's our motivations. It's our emotions and feelings, and it's our actions, 
In the Hebrew, that's what the heart includes. So what's he saying? Unite my heart to fear your name. God, will you unite my heart? Will you unite the way I think with the way I feel, with what my motivations are, and then what my actions are that flow from it? That's a united heart. And sometimes we can think things, but it doesn't, uh, it doesn't go with the way we feel. We can feel things, but it doesn't match what we're thinking. We're asking God to unite our hearts around him because he's the one that's worthy. Last week, I gave a definition. I shortened uh, John Piper's definition of worship to this, gladly responding to the worth of God. The word worth, worship means to uh, give worth to. And all of us are worshipers. Every single person is a worshiper. It's just a matter of what we consider worthy or weighty enough to get our attention, the way we think with our minds, heart, all of who we are. So worship then would be gladly responding to the worth of God. We believe God is worth it, that he's worthy, and we respond gladly to him. The 95th Psalm and the 145th Psalm, where we'll hang out today, uh, they give, as someone said, an absolute counter to all the self stuff that goes on in our hearts. We tend to move towards self-sufficiency. We tend to move towards self-seeking. And God tends to be the one pushed aside where we're the center rather than God himself is the center. And these Psalms come directly at that selfish kind of thinking or heart. What I'd like us to think about today, and it's a long thought, is in, and each word matters, that's why I chose it, is an invitation to worship together with praise and gratitude. Each word matters. Just like there's invites to weddings, God has invited us to worship him. It's an invitation. And it's an invitation to gladly respond to the worth of who he is. And it's an invitation to do that together, together. It's an invitation to worship God together, and today we'll focus on praise and gratitude. A number of the Psalms are laments. They're more about confession, and they're over the brokenness of our world. Next week, we'll linger in that a little bit more. Today, we'll focus on the praise and on the gratitude. I'm not sure if Jack, who's leading our worship today, Uh, said it in this service, he said it uh, earlier, and it was a a thought I just haven't really stopped and and pondered on much, Uh, but the, the thing that we can do together in worship, that we all do together, is sing. That's the one thing where all of us are doing that together in worship at one time. A cool thought, that's a powerful Picture. You see, God hasn't invited us to have three songs uh, to warm us up for the teaching. That's not what the invitation is. Uh, the invitation is to come and to worship and to praise and give gratitude to a God who's worthy. And I want us to think about it this way in verses one through seven, that if this is the invitation God's given us, then we are to spur each other on in this invitation. So this is for all of us to spur each other on, cheer each other on, encourage each other as worshipers of God. Let's tether ourselves to God's word so that uh, we can see from what he says why it is that we do what we do. Verse one, 
uh, of chapter 95. Oh, come, let us sing for joy to the Lord. Let us shout joyfully to the rock of our salvation. Oh, come. That's an invitation. It's come. Hey, the psalmist is saying, hey, let's, let's come and let us. It's plural. Let us. Come let us sing. Come let us. It's an invitation for us to come and to sing for joy to the Lord. It's a gathering together. It's a cheering on uh, to do so. Uh, and it's, we come with a song. We come with a song to sing to the Lord, and it's a song of joy. We come with a glad heart before the Lord. That's what the psalmist tells us about worship. It's an invitation for us all to come, and we're invited in to do so. Now, why, why would we invite somebody to church? I, I think about this question often, and I, I think often of what someone's hearing when someone invites them to church. What do they actually believe they're coming to? If it's someone that's not as familiar with the church, maybe someone's not a Christian, maybe they've been hurt in the past, they have ideas of the church. Do you ever think about, if I invite somebody to church, I say, hey, will you come to church with me? What do they actually think they're coming to? And there's a number of responses to that question, and it might not be what you think, or it might be, but our culture is certainly given an idea of what we're like, so if someone's not a part of it, uh, it would be easy to have different understandings. But this is what I would say to, to us today. We, we want to be... I'm not sure what I'm looking for. We wanna be a people who are always and constantly inviting people to church. And here's why. This is the only reason we need. We don't need any other reason. We don't need a set of social uh, science research facts to let you know why this could be good for you, to tell you why you should come. There's, there's one reason and one reason only that is the best reason. There's a number of reasons. There's one just great reason. God is worth it. God is worth it. I'm coming for God. He's worth it. He's absolutely worth it. And I think that would be refreshing for someone to hear that they're being invited to church because we believe God is worth it. We believe if you come that it's absolutely worth it because we're doing the greatest thing we could possibly do in worshiping God. Now, we have to believe that to give that invite, but anything after that is icing on the cake. And we can do a number of things. God may promise different ways, but our motivation is simply that people would have an encounter with a God who's worth being encountered. And then when we come, how do we come? <clears throat> he said, sing for joy to the Lord. Let us shout joyfully to the rock of our salvation. We come with a song, and we come ready to shout, and we come with joy and a glad heart. We come with emotion. That's part of our heart. Now, I know, and I do it a lot, so I want you to hear 
emotions are uh, tainted with sin like everything else, so they can kind of get out of whack. And emotions are not a good leader. But our emotions follow the truth of who God is. And somewhere our emotions get ignited by the truth and beauty of who God is. He, he's, he's worth it. So how do we sing? We sing joyfully is what we're told here. And we sing to the object, the rock of our salvation. When I was 16 years old, it's when uh, the invitation that I received to know God through Jesus Christ and what he had been crucified for me, he lived a perfect life, uh, he was resurrected from the dead, uh, and I was invited in uh, to respond and believe Jesus, and at 16 years old, uh, I stood up in a gathering. Uh, it was a free pizza gathering. Everybody would show up for those. Uh, but that night was a game-changing invite uh, because it wasn't just the invite to the pizza. Uh, it was an invite to know Jesus Christ. And, and on that night, I met Jesus Christ, and everything changed. The whole trajectory of my life changed. And I changed churches. I went to a different church after that. And I came home and I told my mom at some point, she reminded me of this a while back, I didn't remember it, and I told her, I said, I can sing the songs now at church. Well, as any good mom, she took that as somebody had told me that I couldn't sing the songs at church. So she got mad at people at church. I don't know who she's mad at, somebody at the church. Somebody's always mad at somebody at the church. And when I, she said that back to me, I said, no, I said, I know Jesus now, and now I have a song to sing. I didn't have a song to sing before I knew Jesus. So there wasn't a joy in my heart to sing to him. There wasn't something to shout joyfully about. I didn't know the rock of my salvation. And once I was encountered by God and knew Jesus, then there was a song in my heart, and there's a joy in my heart, and a gladness in my heart, and I want to be able to sing the songs of praise to him. The writer of Hebrews, he came across this same thing, I guess, because he writes in Hebrews chapter 10, verses 23 through 25, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds. So we're to come together so that we can encourage one another to, to love each other well, to love well out as we go, uh, and to uh, do good things. And then verse 25, not forsaking our own assembling together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Now, I realize it's a cheap shot on a cold day when it's 20-something degrees, but it was already planned, I'm taking the shot. In the scripture, we're told to gather together to worship God who's worthy. And I love that we have an online option. I think it's fantastic for people who are trying to figure out if they even wanna show up here. I think it's great if someone's sick or if you're on vacation or on a business trip uh, or there's some physical limitation. Uh, it's a phenomenal way for us to gather together. But I would say if you're physically able, that God is telling us he wants us together to worship. It's just different online than it is in person. So I'm just asking if you just kinda 
settled into some kind of comfort zone uh, online and you could be here, uh, you're missed being present. Who knows how God wants to work in and through you? And how, what would it look like? And I don't know what your conversations are like, but what would it look like if, if we came and we were so excited to get here to encourage and stimulate one another to love and good deeds that, that I'm coming and I'm saying I'm ready to how I can encourage people, not just us up here, but all of us, and we're just figuring out, I'm coming today, and I can't wait to be gathered together, and I wonder how God wants to work through me today to encourage and stimulate somebody else, that they might be encouraged on mission, they might be encouraged to get in a life group this week, and their whole life will change because they meet a community of people that are centered on Jesus and can help them learn how to study God's word. What if I came and said, Man, last week we were in a life group and they, we talked about this and my love for God just increased because now I understand this about God. Or I have no idea what we just talked about in a life group this week. Do you have any idea what this passage of scripture means? Can you help me with this? Or, or what if somebody just needs a smile on their, uh, from somebody? It's not people have assigned roles on a site. We, we all come to encourage one another and then if we know people that are not here, we invite them to join us. Why? Because God is worth it. He's worthy. Who, who is he uh, invite? And I know if you're online, I know you'll let me challenge you, so I, I hope you'll take it in the right way uh, and that the scriptures will be uh, what you're challenged by today. But who, who's welcome to come to Jesus? Well, in Matthew chapter 11, we see his invitation. And it says, come me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. The invitation is not for a small number of people in a venue. The invitation is to every person that is weary and heavy laden. And part of the weariness and heavy laden Jesus is talking about, if you're wearied from having to do the law and perform uh, because of the religious system that you're in, I'm coming and I'm offering you rest and grace and mercy at the cross of Jesus Christ. Come, all who are weary and heavy laden, and be a worshiper today of a God who's worthy. Well, I learned something at that wedding, uh, at Jehuda and Katie's wedding, and I realized that the flower girl and the ring bearer don't get to actually practice at the rehearsal. They walk an aisle, but they don't have the flowers and they don't have the experience of 100 or 200 people around them. That's different to a little one. It's different for a big one. Jehuda's nephew, Gabriel, is a ring bearer. He's a little over two years old. And then uh, their niece, Liana, flower girl. So I'm standing here. They come down the aisle and stop. And Gabriel, you can tell his wheels are turning. And he's looking down at all those flower petals. And he just said, it's a mess. <laughs> and then he was kind of overcome by it. And he just said it again. It's a mess. Our lives are a mess. 
We don't need a little boy to tell us. We know in our own hearts all the pride, selfishness, all the junk that's in there. We're a mess. That's why we need Jesus. We need somebody to clean up the mess, our hearts. And that's what Jesus did on the cross. He took on your mess and mine on himself so that we could be relieved of it, we could find rest. When you find that, there's all of a sudden a song in the heart. If there's not a song in the heart, it's worth asking, do I know Jesus or not? There's some other reason. I could know Jesus and not have a song. But it's worth asking, if there's really never been a song, has there ever really been Jesus, the one who cleans up the mess? Because that in and of itself is enough for a shout to come flying out to be free. He's the rock of our salvation. Well, verse two, he says, let us come before his presence with thanksgiving. So it's a second invite to come. Come and sing for joy and come uh, in his presence with thanksgiving, with gratitude. And then again, let's shout joyfully to him. And how do we do it? We do it with psalms. Uh, one way we can learn how to praise God is to linger and hang out in the psalms. And that's what he says here. Come and come hang out in the psalms and these will help us in our praise of God. And then why do we actually do this? Why do we come with a song? Why do we come with gratitude to God? Verse three, for the Lord is a great God and a great king above all gods. He's worthy. He's above all. He is a worthy God. And for no other reason, as I said just a moment ago, uh, he is worth coming uh, to praise and to sing to him. In whose hand are the depths of the earth? The peaks of the mountains are his also. The sea is his, for it was he who made it, and his hands formed the dry land. Everything is his. He holds it, and he sustains it. One of the opportunities we had at the ranch at Jehuda's wedding, a group of us went for a walk on the night before, and it was uh, a cool night, uh, and it was the, sun, the moon was out, it was bright, uh, the sky was black, we're out on a ranch, uh, the stars uh, were just stunning. Uh, two people actually saw a shooting star. I don't know if we believe them or not. The rest of us didn't see it, but kidding, they saw it. Uh, and so God is all his glory in the heavens, and we're walking, but the difference on this night is we had a skilled guitarist, and I asked him if he would bring his guitar, and then one of the ranchers is a fiddle player, we're walking under the stars, and these two guys just played off of each other so well. Just hearing the fiddle, guitar, and being in the majesty and bigness of God. He's a great God, great God, worthy of our praise and worthy of all glory. Well, David, who wrote this, a lot of the Psalms, he, the last Psalm we have of King David is Psalm 145. And he goes on to talk more about the, the greatness of, the, of God who's the king. And I wanted to just choose some selected verses uh, out of Psalm 145 for us to consider about the greatness of God. Uh, verse one, I will extol you, my God, O king, and I will bless your name forever and ever. I wanna hold on that a second and say, look what happens here. In Psalm 95, oh, come, let us, come, let us sing for joy to the Lord. Psalm 145, I will extol you, my God, O king. 
This is personal and private. This is not, uh, this, this, is, uh, this is between David and God. I, I am personally going to extol you. I'm going to praise you, oh God, my king. It's personal. So when we talk about spending time with God, we call it the table for two, time alone with God. And we just wanna hang out with him. And in that time, we're praising him. So that when we come together, we're actually spurring each other on to come together because it's coming out of already my relationship with God. And I've already been doing this. I'm just inviting us all to do it together. And there is something about together that's powerful in God's bringing together of his people for his praise in your own time with God. Are you saying, I, I praise you, God, and you're the king. I praise you. How long are we to do this? A couple of minutes, five, 10, 15? Forever and ever. Eternity is today. Eternity is not when we die. That's not when it starts. We're already in eternity. There's going to be a division that happens uh, when we pass from this life. We're either headed to being present with God uh, and later it'll end in the new heavens and the new earth or we're headed to be separated from God uh, in hell, tormented and separated from him forever. Uh, and so that's where we're headed uh, and we're eternal beings at this moment. Uh, and so we're always praising him. Verse two, for those who know him, every day I will bless you and I will praise your name forever and ever. So every day, every day, I'll bless you and praise you. This is what the psalmist is inviting us into. And there's something about when we fill our hearts and minds with the praise of God that those problems and things that are such a big deal in our lives, they start to shrink under the praise and magnitude of God. They start to diminish. I'm not saying it's not hard. It's not difficult, it's not challenging. I'm just saying it's different when we're sitting in the praise of the God who's the way maker, the miracle worker, the promise keeper, who's working when we don't feel it and he's working when we don't know it. There's something about that that brings an eruption of praise within us. Great is the Lord, highly to be praised in verse three, and his greatness is unsearchable. One generation shall praise your works to another and shall declare your mighty acts. Let's pause on that word generation. So God has invited us in to be worshipers of him and then to pass on to the generations what it is that he's doing and who he is. Now, I read an article from Breakpoint on Thursday, January 11th, just to note it if you wanna go look at it. And in there, he made the comment that what the research tells us today, 2% of millennials, millennials are late 20s, well into their 30s, probably pushing 40. That's, our, uh, that's kind of the age range. 2% have a biblical worldview. Let that sit in a minute. We're talking about the praise of God being passed from a generation to the next generation well, the generation that is the 30-somethings, right now, only 2% of them actually believe what this book says, which means 98% of parents that are millennial age are not passing on the truths of who God is. 98%. It's astounding 
how it's not moving to the next generation. But I ran across a couple of articles this week in a podcast that I'll share. In the 1930s, Hitler had figured out that if he could indoctrinate the children, that over a period of years, they would rise up this whole mass generation that would be loyal to him and to his causes. But someone was watching him from North Korea, and the Kim family figured out, if we do this, then we can totally change the country. So that today, several generations later, the Kim family is the center of everything for North Korea. They are thought of as divine, to be worshiped above all, and to do anything to counter the state is to find yourself imprisoned or killed. In every living room, classroom, and office in North Korea, there are pictures of the Kim family. And they are to be ritually and meticulously cared for every day. They've made themselves the weight and object and center of worship. I'm really proud of our brothers and sisters in Christ in North Korea that have suffered deeply for following Jesus and not allowing a generation above them to indoctrinate them in things that are anti-God and completely against God's design. Hamas, they do summer camps. And you think, oh, that's neat. No. It's not how to improve your sport, your art, faith. It's how to shoot AK-47s and learn how to hate Jews and to follow in your father's footsteps that one day you might be the one that's the martyr and the hero that eliminates them. You see, everyone's figured out that you get the mind of the child and win. Then there's Josh Hawley, senator from Missouri, podcast I was sent this week, talking about legacy dads and the importance of dads in sons' lives. It's just what this podcast was. I know moms are influential, girls, I'm just telling you what I heard in the podcast. But he said something that's a challenge to all of us as dads. He said, what our kids need to know today is that Jesus is worthy in our lives. They need to see modeled from us joy and exuberance about God. They need to know that God's worth it. And this is my own translation. Our kids need to know that church and creation land and 121 kids and hanging out with Jermaine, Courtney, that any of those things, they're not just one more thing on the list of all of our activities that we have to knock out in a week, but that somehow Jesus 
is above all. And that there's no doubt by the priorities in our home, by the gladness of our hearts for God, by our love for the word of God, our desire to do whatever it takes to be gathered up to worship God. They need to know in our dads, what's more important than anything is not their batting average, their football stats, or if they got their first deer. They need to know the thing that excites their dad the most. Jesus, crucified, risen, son worth living for. I'll give my all for that. I've learned how to treat your mother the way I do because Jesus is worth it. I'm doing what I'm doing with you because Jesus is worth it. I do what I do because Jesus is worth it. Let the hearts and minds of our kids, while we can't make them do something later, they'll at least know. They'll at least know what was worth it to my dad. From generation generation, we pass on the praises and the glory and the honor of God. In verse five, he tells us to meditate on his wonderful works. You say, you know what? I hear you. I don't know how to do those things. Here's a way to do it. This would be if we do know. We could take Psalm 145, and and what if every day, for however long it takes, you just take one phrase at a time, on something about who God is and just hang out on it all day long and ask people what they think about it and talk about it. So if, if verse three is great as the Lord, that's all I'm gonna do today is hang out on great as the Lord. I'm gonna say, what does that mean that God is great? And I'm just gonna hover in that idea all day. And I, I'm gonna talk to my friends about it. I'm gonna bring it up in my life group. Uh, I'm gonna bring it up at school. I'm gonna bring it up at work for those that be willing to listen. And they may think you're in crazy town, but is God worth it? Praise the Lord. Another way you could do it is to go to Spotify and get a playlist. Now, I have one out there. It's called Ross Favorites. Nobody ever goes and gets my stuff. So today... I'm trying to make a pitch. I've already gotten like two or three likes out of it. Uh, My self-esteem has been so bolstered this morning, I can't even begin to tell you what this is like. Um, And I may start trying to figure out other ways to get that thumbs up. Um, But I'm really just telling you, if you have no idea where to go for music, that is music of praise, uh, Ross favorites. You gotta be careful, I just got sent one, it was not mine, so I can't take credit uh, or for bad stuff or whatever. Ross favorites if you have an interest. Uh, And if you don't, you won't hurt my feelings either. Those are just ideas of ways that we can uh, meditate uh, on God. And a couple other places in this psalm uh, to think about. In verse 12, make known to the sons of men your mighty acts and the glory of the majesty of your kingdom. Uh, These are things we're to make known. It's not just that uh, we come and do this, but we make God known wherever we are. Next week, we have the men of Nehemiah joining us. There's 50 to 60 of these guys. Uh, They're gonna lead us in worship. We're gonna hear their stories. Uh, These are men that have had addictions and all kinds of brokenness that God is redeeming uh, and bringing them towards himself and uh, just really cool opportunity uh, to have them. They are making known what God is doing in them. 
uh, and we get to join them uh, in that. I would encourage you, whoever you can invite, uh, to be a part of that uh, with us. Uh, and then he tells us in verse 14 uh, that God sustains all who fall and raises up all who are bowed down. Look, I keep talking about a glad heart, and you're just thinking, well, what if I don't have a glad heart? What if I'm not excited about any of this? You know what? God is a sustainer. And I know just from stories this morning of talking to people, for so many of you, it is all you could do to get here based on things going on in your life. And you know what? Sometimes that's all you need to do. And then everybody else around can stand in the gap and pray and praise and let that praise just wash over. God is a sustainer. He takes us right where we are. He's a God of truth in verse 18, so we line these things up with truth. Uh, and then in verse 21, uh, my mouth will speak the praise of the Lord. All flesh will bless his holy name forever and ever. Do you ever wonder why when we sing the hymn, holy, 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 it just seems like everybody gets in on that? You say, well, it's because it's one of those old hymns, and I just wish we did those hymns all the time. I'm gonna argue it differently. There is something about that part of who God is, is a holy God that overwhelms our souls. As a Christian, we can't help but sing it. God is holy forever. That part of God runs through every bit of who he is. Uh, a couple of other things here in Psalm 95, verse six. Come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker. We're talking about spurring each other on. Postures matter to God. There's a humility that's required for us to have different postures before God. And it's easy for us to cop out on this, by the way, and say, well, he's just looking for a, a humble heart. And the posture of my heart is humble. That's true. But there are postures that flow out of what it is that God's doing inside of a person. Yesterday, Lisa and I went to a musical. I get to have a little variation here from a sports story. It was a youth edition of The Sound of Music, the Artisan Theater in Hearst. It's fantastic. Uh, all 18 and under were the ones who did it. Um, it, it was just, it was phenomenal. But you know what? Nobody had to tell us, and I, I'm an art idiot, and nobody had to tell me when to clap. They, they were just moments you knew. And we knew when to stand up and applaud for them. At the end, we just knew there was something within that you know, I, I can't just sit here while everybody else, they just did an amazing job. We should honor that. But there wasn't a jumbotron telling me to do it. We just knew in the moment. And it's the same with God, that if he's really stirring our heart, we just know that there are times when we're alone with God. Maybe sometimes it's in public with God, and you're just so messed up. There is no other place to be but face down in the ground. Have you ever been there? And just crying before the Lord, I don't know how to get out of this. I can't believe I just did that. That's an appropriate posture when we're pleading with a God who is a great king. 
And he says, come, let us kneel. Why don't we kneel? It forces me into a place of humility for God. I can't make it without him. You ever kneel in your time alone with God? And then there's times where our hands are lifted up in surrender, full surrender to him. This is kind of appropriate to what's going on. There's something that moves and there's a posture that goes with it. We're asking God to give us a freedom in postures that follow the heart he's doing. Appropriate to the moment. Why do we not do that? It's the warning that we're given in the last part of this psalm, verses seven through 11. So one thing we do is we spur each other on. The second thing is we be careful to not have a hardened heart. And what will generally hold us back from worshiping God will be hearts that are hardened by pride, by selfishness, by fear of man, by unbelief. And the psalmist says, hey, today's the day to let the hardness go. And the Hebrew writer quotes the psalmist and says, to be careful to take care of that today. Encourage each other today so that your heart doesn't grow hard because of the deceitfulness of sin. And the longer we allow our heart to be deceived and grow hard with each passing day, it will grow harder and harder and harder. So today's the day. And God is the one that can break up the hard heart and soften it for himself. Worthy of that. Today might be a good day. Instead of rushing home, cooking, and getting ready for the game, to rush to a quiet place and get face first before God and come clean on any sin that's allowed your heart to grow hard. We're warned again and again in Scripture be careful. Don't be like the Israelites who are always quarreling and testing God. Instead, with praise and gratitude, come then. The lady sent me a story of their mom. Her mom was 91 years old. She's dying in about six hours from here, and she would go and make trips. And when she thought it was near uh, the death of her mom, a friend of hers told her, that when you see your mom, look in her eyes as much as you can. Because you never know when the last time is that you'll be able to look at her. The lady sent me the story. She said, you know what, that's, that's really what it's like with God, isn't it? To do what we're talking about in worship, I, I want to look in his eyes as often as I can. And I look in his eyes through his creation, through Jesus, 
through his word. Fix our eyes on him. And then we can praise and worship him every day. Father, I pray this morning that any hard hearts, God, would you just shatter that today and break it free? Father, any mediocre kind of things going in us, will you shatter that? And Father, I pray where people are just worshipers of you, they'll only increase in their love and praise of you today. Will you just meet each of us right where we are? But help us to know how to spur each other on, to come and to sing, to sing for joy, to shout joyfully, to come in your presence with gratitude for who you are, for what you do. Father, I pray that we would rest in your greatness and your goodness your mercy, your grace, your wisdom and your knowledge, your presence and your power, your righteousness and your justice, your holiness and your purity, your radiance, God. And it would just cause our hearts to continually, day after day, to erupt with praise. We just ask you, God, keep turning the desires of our heart respond to you, God, to your worth, and to your value. I pray in Jesus' name.